The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Well, I'm joined by Stephanie Preisner, writer and broadcaster, and Jared Howland, public affairs consultant. And can we start with that? The British reaction to the Biden visit, Jared, it shouldn't even be a thing. Like, why the British are reacting to Joe Biden visiting another country? But there's been a number of articles. The Spectator, the Daily Express has had a couple of uh, articles. GB News has done it. And the Times had that cartoon of Joe Biden dressed up as a Guinness drinking, dancing leprechaun uh, with a speech bubble saying, I just love Northern Ireland. Did we touch a nerve by having a president who likes us? Well, I have great sympathy for columnists who have to fill a page. Um, Secondly, as a pure practitioner yourself, you know the dangers of clippings. So uh, the clippings go up and go out and people read the clippings and they take that as a summary of, of a bigger picture. Uh, clippings are a disaggregate of a bigger picture. And we're looking at clippings from the British media in isolation of a Britain that largely ignored, was disinterested completely in the Biden visit. So we need to be aware of our over uh, self-regard in this instance, I think. Well, but the, clippings, but the clippings are from a paper. Like, there's yeah. no positive clippings, you know? And so that is a disproportionate there's, there's a reaction. Rel- there's relatively very little coverage. That's the big picture. But the coverage that is there is weirdly negative. Except The Guardian. Uh, And it is weirdly negative and it does come from a particularly Tory Brexiteer uh, quarter of the British media Mm -hmm. uh, who have a fundamental problem. They have a fundamental problem about a chip on their shoulder about Ireland forever. And that is doubled down on by their catastrophic failure in relation to the pretensions they plugged into for Brexit, which particularly centred on an amazing future free trading relationship with the United States of America, which totally unsurprisingly, nothing whatsoever to do with Ireland, has not and will not be fulfilled. But within this, you would have thought, Stephanie, that there is a certain British self-interest in having a US president who is here ostensibly to support peace in Northern Ireland because the UK does not lose from having a peaceful Northern Ireland. No, it doesn't. But I think the nerve that you, you that we touched, that we, you know, we touched and we did hit a nerve. And I think it's because Joe Biden, he spoke to a university in the north of Ireland because there is no assembly up there. Stormont is not sitting. So he couldn't address, you know, he couldn't address the ministers. Um, this, I think he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't kind of bow down to them. He said, you know, very clearly, like, look, there's an awful lot to be gained if you can get your act together. You know, you could get loads of American investment, which they weren't happy about. But this cartoon is my issue because it's actually just bad. It's inaccurate. First of all, when I saw it, I thought that it was King Charles. It doesn't actually look like Biden and the ears look like George Bush's caricature. He doesn't drink, so it's factually inaccurate. And I think the joke is that, or I don't actually understand it, but I think because the word northern is in smaller font, that there's some sort of dig at the fact that he didn't spend long in Northern Ireland or something. But if you're going to be a caricature and make a cartoon, it has to be funny. It has to be at a glance. But I that get looks like something from Punch in the mid 1800s. I know. But I mean, that this paddywhack, but I don't actually kind of have an issue with that because I do think that we play up to the paddywhackery as well. Like when Biden is here, we do I kind have, of. I have two pictures in front of me, Stephanie. One is the cartoon and the other have the, the today's uh, London Times open in front of me. There's a big colour spread of King Charles inspecting his troops at Sandhurst. He's in full kit and caboodle as a field marshal, carrying his very large baton. Uh, the hat looks slightly too big for him. And I'm wondering which is the cartoon? 
Some of the sentiment that goes around the cartoon. the people who publish the Times have a different sense of humour. There's a, uh, or no. a quote from Lee Cohen in The Spectator uh, writing about Biden's visit where he says, Biden was steeped in the exaggerated... Sorry, <clears throat> let me clear my throat because I want to get this clear. Biden was steeped in the exaggerated but dated folklore of Irish grudge. Exaggerated and dated. It then suited his local political rise to push the Irish persona, playing off the popular and political esteem for the Kennedys, even as that family left any anti-British grievance behind. There's a tiny grain of truth in there because the Irish-American uh, political constituency is diminished and it is very diverse. Um, but what Joe Biden did successfully in 2020 is that he focused incredibly in terms of time and resources on those three states where cumulatively Hillary Clinton lost the American presidency by 44,000 votes. The white Catholic vote in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin uh, and third one now I can't remember that I'm on air. Um, he focused on that and that was a, quite a white Catholic vote and he turned the dial on that very slightly. And that very slight turn of the dial was sufficient to get him over the line. So it's much smaller than it was, but it was incredibly important, small though it is, in key states for him. And in a sense, his most important political engagement in Ireland was in Knock. That's saying to a key group of people that he's just Catholic enough for those Catholics to vote for him one more time. Can I give a much more pedestrian interpretation of what I think is happening? You know when you have a fight with your boyfriend and you go and you tell your mom that you had a fight with your boyfriend and she holds the grudge and then you get back with your boyfriend and, you know, you, you remember the grudge but, like, you kind of get over it. I think that with Ireland and England, we are that couple and we, like, Joe is holding a grudge for us with the UK that we have largely gotten over. And so he's sort of... Yeah, he's our, he's our mother in that situation. And I remember is. years ago giving an American friend of mine a bottle of Irish whiskey and he said that he wasn't sure he could accept it because it was Protestant. I remember thinking, hey, how do you know what whiskey is Catholic and what whiskey is Protestant? And surely that went out with the flood. But yeah, and surely that legacy if an Irish of, person gives it to you, you just accept it. I, I do recall good. trying to explain with great difficulty that St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin was not Catholic. As to that. Joe Biden and his capacity to win it again, Jared, that was always his bet, that he could be the, his pitch, mm. was that he was the one who could win that key vote to convert the popular vote into the Electoral College victory that was needed to defeat Trump. Having seen him over the past week, can he do it again? And is he physically, intellectually, emotionally and all the rest of it able for the stresses of another campaign? So he's clearly up to us uh, this week. But whether in November 12 months people will make a judgment, he's up to it for another four years. I think if his opponent is not Trump, he is a big problem. If his opponent is Trump, it's a maybe. What do you think? I think, I don't know what I think. I, I, I don't think it. I don't think he will win. No. I don't think that he should go for it again. I think that we need sort of a, a we. I think that America needs a, a, a younger, more... Not younger in terms of age, but like a more lively, engaged, less old white man version of a president. The old white man did very well the last time. Yeah, I know. And, and I think maybe I'm thinking about uh, the electorate as terms uh, as just millennials, which they're not. But I would like to vote for a younger, more sprightly, engaged Well, he will female. be the Democratic candidate if he runs. That's it. 100%. So, so the only issue then is who's But like, Republican is Trump going to be running for prison? 
Like what? He would might well, but you know, <clears throat> put him in to get him out. He, there won't be any um, conclusion of any trial before the presidential election. I doubt it. Um, and it will really galvanise his base quite a lot. Gladstone formed his last government when he was 84, but that was a rather different world. Um, I have to say, you know, we all have relatives and the idea of an 86-year-old being president of the United States is a bit challenging. Do you think? I do, yeah. God, can I think, be brutally ageist. I mean, I don't think I'd be up to it when I'm 86. Not up to it now, obviously. I guess it depends but, on what you see the role hmm. as. Like, It's different from Ireland, yeah? It's, it's, it's more... I think, but surely it depends on the nature nature of the eighty six year old. I mean, what age was was Anthony Fauci when he was um, still working? He was eighty two, eighty three. Yeah, but it's not there the same job. It's not the same traveling around, meeting dignitaries, going to these events. But surely there's nothing inherent about being in your eighties that precludes you from doing that kind of thing. No, there isn't no, anything but inherent. But the number of people who are still up to it diminishes with time. That's my life experience. There are people, of course, who are able. You see them in the forty foot every morning. But this particular man, I'm not sure, in another four years. Let us move to uh, issues closer to home. Interesting little row in the coalition, Jared. I wanted your view mm. on this because you've been inside these sort of um, smoke-filled rooms, although most of your time was probably it's, it's all strictly down, non-smoking so. now, I'm afraid. <laughs> this is an interesting little spat. So Pascal Donoghue, it is being reported, has sent a memo to Cabinet and uh, in what has been described as a strongly worded memo, he has said that he is absolutely not persuaded by the economic analysis on the benefits of hosting Euro 2028. This is the analysis presented by the Tourism Minister. Them's fighting words. Absolutely not persuaded by a Cabinet colleague's desire to have the Euros. Well, it does show how powerless uh, the Department of Public Expenditure has long been in terms of controlling public expenditure, which has long been out of control. And it is a telling insight into that overall relationship uh, that the Minister for Public Expenditure would have such deep concerns and that he uh, was talking to himself in relation to his colleagues. If I were Pascal, I'd be very embarrassed. Why? Because it, 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 it shows that he, uh, on an issue he chose to take a stand on, could not hold the line on public expenditure. And if you are uh, that minister and you cannot hold that line, what is it exactly you are for? And the issue, of course, is underlying this, Stephanie. He's the CFO. But he's the CFO and a line manager has said, I have a wizard wheeze that I think is going to make a lot of money. And mm. he's just saying, I'm not convinced. Give me more detail. That's what CFOs do. Indeed. And, and they're saying, uh, no, we're not going to. We're just going to spend it anyway. Yeah. The cabinet have approved it. Well, let's be clear what it is. The minister, this being Catherine Martin, Minister for Tourism, has said that by bringing in the euros, they're going to get about 193 million, sorry, 189 million quid. And it's only going to cost 93 million to host the tournament. And Pascal Donoghue and one assumes his officials are saying, lads, the hotels are going to be neck deep in people anyway at that point. So where's the economic benefit? Yes. And it gives, because we haven't seen all of the detail around it, it does give the, the, the impression that, you know, Catherine Martin and her team are being sort of dangerously cavalier about things where deep consideration is appropriate. And I, and Pascal is saying, you need, I'm and not saying no. let's be clear, spending departments are habitually dangerously cavalier. Oh, I'm definitely team Pascal be, on this. I just am, to be sure about that. I am team no Pascal doubt. on this. But is this not, I can't remember who, who had the line that said that if the um, Department of Finance had a mission statement, it would be no. Like that's yeah, the job of the public expenditure uh, minister is to say, ah, hang on, lads, steady. Absolutely. And it is to be the in-house pessimist and, and, and all of that. Uh, but the, the reality is that um, 
they, the Department of Finance are, which and the Department of Public Expenditure are separate, obviously. But they're saying on the one hand that our tax base is not secure, that very significant amounts of our corporation tax is, quote, at risk, unquote. And at the same time, there's public expenditure going on at a rate that assumes the corporation tax, which is at risk in their view, is not at risk at all. Can we go to something positive and happy to wrap us up? This being the news that Colin Farrell is apparently very important. This is a nonsense. Oh, he's he, he, he is <laughs> oh, important. He's a, positivity. he's a great actor. But yeah. this Times, so, the, so Colin Farrell has made the Times 100 most influential people list. Hooray! Hooray! Except it's the who's who of famous people nominating their famous friends so he was nominated by Nicole Kidman like if these are the top most 100 influential people the world is in serious trouble and also Time Magazine has just become like a clickbait you know like one of these it, it's, it's just not it's just a nonsense and I'm outraged by it Good Lord, if ever I thought there was a silver lining which didn't come with a cloud, it would be that Colin Farrell is an influential person. He's influential, but the top 100 influential people in the world. He's an actor. He does a great job of saying words that are put into his mouth. Now, if that is... But he's also liked and a role model and so forth. But there are people out there who have millions... Like, it also betrays the fact that people don't understand what influence is. There are people out there who are influencing millions of young people on social media and you've never heard of them. You have never heard of them. They're some random Korean, you know, K-pop singer. And if they put up something on their social media, everyone believes it. Colin Farrell is not that. Neither is anyone on this list, in my opinion. Jerry, well, do you want to, do you want to bring the happy? I'm mildly jealous of Colin Farrell for several reasons. <laughs> but anyway, to get over my own bitterness, yeah. Um, this is more of like Hello Magazine than yeah. Time Magazine, as I remember Time Magazine. I've no problem with Colin Farrell, uh, but, I, I, but, but I no, have hey, to oh, say... Hang on, both uh, yes. Look, influence does not necessarily mean the capacity to wield a military stick. Influence involves things like influence on in our thinking, on our values, culture, on our morals, Does on Colin our Farrell yeah. influence your thinking, Anton Savage? Oh. Does well, it? Be honest. He, be has, honest. he has recently made me more confident in wearing Samaran jumpers that I wouldn't have worn out of the house as much as I now do. I am not sure the Time magazine is talking about your sartorial decisions or his sartorial decisions when they call him when Nicole Kidman nominates him as one of the top 100 influential people it's a racket well I'm happy for Colin anyway even if you aren't oh I'm happy for him (laughs) and I'm happy for (laughs) Jennifer Coolidge for Time magazine but concerned yes exactly for Time magazine (laughs) Stephanie Breisner writer and broadcaster and Jared Howland public affairs consultant thank you both very much for coming in The Anton Savage Show Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk